You are listening to the protagonist of the erotic. Produced by Extra Extra. Each episode is dedicated as an act of love to the libidinal ouvreur of a living person. Desired object or location that can be visited in the present day. We discover what it means to define and shape sensuality, framed within the dynamic context of modern urban life. Coca-Cola Fizzling on the tongue, sugary sweet and deliciously cool. There's nothing quite like Coca-Cola on a hot day. Cracking open a bottle, Seb Amina takes a long, deep sip. The iconic carbonated soda has been adding flavour to our imaginations for decades. Tall glasses, dripping moisture... Their caramel-coloured contents glistening with bubbles and cubes of ice adorn billboards. Coke is freedom, love, sex, nostalgia, modernity. In essence, just about anything you want it to be. The poet Frank O'Hara built fantastical worlds out of the common commodity, writing lyrical verses on the joy of sharing a glass with his lover. While the Brazilian novelist, Clarice Lispector, ruminated that it is the drink of today, the now. For Seb, however, Coke conjures past memories. On a sunny afternoon in Paris, he sets off in search of the beverage. While on the hunt for a retro glass bottle, a rarity amongst the plastic and can varieties, he recollects a teenage crush, holidays to a Greek island, and the youthful desire to get a taste of adulthood. The Coca-Cola Company. Mmm, now for a lively lift. Ice-cold Coca-Cola. There's no waistline worry with Coke, you know. Hey kids, what are you going to do with all those carts of coke? Take time out to pause and refresh. Where else but in the fountain where they serve ice-cold Coca-Cola? So tempting to any guest when you bring out those familiar bottles. I guess that's why everyone likes the refreshing new feeling you get, only from not-too-sweet Coca-Cola.
Today, I woke up with a feeling of a kind that even yesterday I had forgotten so much as existed. A feeling that I knew would seem mystifying by tomorrow, mystifying and no doubt shameful. By feeling, I mean a desire. By desire, I mean a thirst. There was something I wanted to taste again. A mouth sensation I wanted to have which used to symbolize something vast and important. I wanted to drink a Coke. By Coke, I don't mean Pepsi Cola. I don't mean hipster variants such as Curiosity Cola, nor geographically limited ones like Corsica Cola from France or Inca Cola from Peru. No, I didn't want any old cola, whatever cola is, and I can't give you a definition, though I will always recognize one. I wanted the main cola, the big one. Coca-Cola traces its history to a soda fountain in Atlanta, Georgia. In 1886, pharmacist John Pemberton created a caramel-colored syrup, took the mixture to a nearby drugstore where carbonated water was added and the drink sold for five cents a glass. According to author Mark Pendergrass, the mixture contained caffeine, lots of sugar, and for the first few years, a small amount of extract from coke leaves. In other words, cocaine. It's bad for you. I know this. Physically bad, in the sense that coke rots your teeth, augments your weight, and contains no nutritious qualities. And spiritually bad as well. It corrodes your imagination, the all-flattening steamroller of consumerism, right there in your glass. There's a phrase, coca-colonialism, which took off at the end of the 1940s and applied not only to the activities of the soft drinks agents, the coca colonels as they were known, but to those of the US State Department itself. At best, a mixed bag. I never order Coca-Cola anymore, is my point. But today, I wanted it. I wanted to go somewhere specifically for the reason of having it. I wanted that coolness, that fizziness, plus whatever that underlying flavor is, that fundamentally brown flavor. But if I'm honest, a yearning for the drink itself was a symptom of something else, which you could call a desire to come home or to forget something that I once learned, that I once wanted to learn and did, but which came with a cost. And I suppose today's craving, like most such episodes, was less for the entirety of one purchasable unit of Coke than for the first mouthful. That moment when the presence of the drink against your inner skull is all there is, when it actually hurts. And it seems for just a second as if you might possibly emerge the other side of that sweet pain to find you've passed through to a moment that had otherwise forever been lost. Beba Coca-Cola. Bobby, cola. Beba Coca. Bobby, cola, caco. Bobby, cola, caco, caco, 
Coca-Cola. Having a Coke with you is even more fun than going to San Sebastian, Irun, Ondai, Biarritz, Bayon, or being sick to my stomach on the Traversera de Grazia in Barcelona. So goes the opening of Frank O'Hara's poem, Having a Coke with You. It's even more fun than going to San Sebastian, Irun, Ondai, Biarritz, Bayon, or being sick to my stomach on the Traversera de Grazia in Barcelona. Partly because in your orange shirt you look like a better, happier Saint Sebastian. Partly because of my love for you. Partly because of your love for yogurt. Partly because of the fluorescent orange tulips around the birches. Partly because of the secrecy our smiles take on before people in statuary. It is hard to believe when I'm with you that there can be anything as still, as solemn, as unpleasantly definitive as statuary when right in front of it, in the warm New York four o'clock light. We are drifting back and forth between each other like a tree breathing through its spectacles. And the portrait show seems to have no faces in it at all, just paint. You suddenly wonder why in the world anyone ever did them. I look at you, and I would rather look at you than all the portraits in the world except possibly for the Polish rider occasionally. And anyway, it's in the Frick, which thank heavens you haven't gone to yet so we can go together the first time. And the fact that you move so beautifully more or less takes care of futurism, just as at home I never think of the nude descending a staircase or at a rehearsal a single drawing of Leonardo or Michelangelo that used to wow me. And what good does all the research of the Impressionists do them when they never got the right person to stand near the tree when the sun sank? Or for that matter, Marino Marini, when he didn't pick the rider as carefully as the horse. It seems they were all cheated of some marvelous experience which is not going to go wasted on me, which is why I'm telling you about it. Let's ask the obvious question. How is a soft drink better than a string of coastal towns in the Basque country? The key words, of course, are with you. It is not that having a Coke is more fun than San Sebastian, but that having it with his companion in this instance, his longtime partner, the ballet dancer Vincent Warren, is. To share a Coke is a form of ordinary intimacy, a.k.a. the deepest and most sustaining variety of intimacy. And it has the benefit of being an always available activity. An article entitled The Universal Drink from a 1959 issue of The New Yorker describes how an explorer in a remote Mexican province once met an old woman who had never heard of the United States but had heard of Coca-Cola. The pleasure we take from drinking a drink is inextricable from the place in which it is drunk. Do O'Hara and Warren have a Coke each, or do they share one? Are they on moulded plastic seats beneath the Coke-branded parasol of a cafe terrace, or on the steps of a deserted church. I imagine it must be siesta hour, that being the time of day that really suits a Coke. I think we can agree that a can's not the optimal vessel here, though when I say bottle, I don't mean a plastic one, obviously. 
I'm talking about the slender, ribbed glass number, the one whose design hasn't changed for over a century. That design was inspired by the shape of a cocoa bean. Not that cocoa has anything to do with coca, the active ingredient in Coca-Cola, but designers just like the shape of the former, though in the end, nobody cared about their intentions. Its contours became objectified, and it wasn't known as the cocoa bean bottle, but the Mae West bottle, so called in honour of the movie star's curvaceous figure. Its contours became objectified, and it wasn't known as the cocoa bean bottle, but the Mae West bottle, so called in honour of the movie star's curvaceous figure. But of course more people knew what coke was than who Mae West was, so the metaphor flipped. People started talking of coke bottle bodies, or just of Coca-Cola bodies. This drink is today, writes Clarice Lispector in her novel, The Hour of the Star. It's a way for a person to be up to date and in the now. The Coke bottle was not only a symbol of flesh and blood, but the embodiment of a unified plan for civilization, in which anyone, anywhere could share the same version of thirst-quenching bliss, a sensuous modern consumerhood, as a billion of their fellow earthlings. Tea and coffee were also once seen as ways to be in the now, but had never achieved this level of ubiquity. Never had our species propensity to spend a lot of time swallowing what you could call unnecessary non-water drinks has been quite so harmonised. All this was of great interest to Frank O'Hara's fellow New Yorker, Andy Warhol, for whom Coke served as both a muse and a motif. What's great about this country, he said, is that America started the tradition where the richest consumers buy essentially the same things as the poorest. You can be watching TV and see Coca-Cola, and you know that the president drinks Coke, Liz Taylor drinks Coke, and just think, you can drink Coke too. A Coke is a Coke, and no amount of money can get you a better Coke than the one the bum on the corner is drinking. Is a soda utopia really a thing? One of the most famous scenes in the TV show Mad Men involves ad exec slash philanderer slash philosopher Don Draper participating in a meditation retreat before being hit amid all that peace, love and clear-headedness by an epiphany as to the best way to sell Coca-Cola. The implication is that it's the fictional Draper who will write the famous real ad from 1971 
that promised a kind of hippie era world peace in the form of a choir representing the world's nations standing on a hilltop singing a rewritten version of I'd like to teach the world to sing. To remind yourself it is just a soft drink takes energy. To retain sophisticated beverage habits is a chore. Wouldn't it be nice to simply submit? As with having sex, you are never alone when you drink a Coke. There are always other people doing it with you. Perhaps you can't see them, but they are out there in Lagos or La Rochelle, Athens or Albuquerque, tasting exactly the same flavour as you at exactly the same time as you. Vanilla, cinnamon, nutmeg, the famous secret syrups, lots and lots of sugar. Coke's secret formula. Only two guys in the world know it. If something happened to one, the formula would be lost forever. And then, cookouts would be catastrophic. The formula for Coca-Cola may be the most closely guarded secret in the history of American commerce. The other ingredients, three ounces citric acid, one ounce caffeine, two and a half gallons of water, the recipe calls that aqua, two pints of lime juice, an ounce of vanilla, one and a half ounces of caramel coloring, And then we arrive at the two most controversial ingredients in Coca-Cola. 30 pounds of sugar. Pounds. And at the very top of the page, first ingredient, F.E. Coca, which stands for Fluid Extract of Coca. That would be the flavor of the coca leaf, which includes a small amount of cocaine. It is southeast London. The year is 1989. I'm lingering in the doorway of the front room of the house where I live. I'm an only child to a single mother. I don't have many friends, and I'm convinced, like many teenagers, that I'm among the most bizarre, most undesirable people of my generation. 
I yearn not to be. When I go to the barber and he asks me what kind of haircut I would like, I say that, more than anything else, I want one that is normal. Here in the house where I spend so much of my waking life, I'm pretending, not that anyone cares, to be lingering in the doorway just for its own sake. But really what I want is to watch all 59 seconds of an ad that's playing on the TV set in the corner. In it, a baby-faced adolescent with a pink tie has just reached a hand out to a young woman in a way that says, would you like to dance with me? They are at a prom or something. A female voice in a soft rock register enunciates the words, first time, first love, oh what feeling is this? And we cut to a girl in a straw hat accepting a cold, dark bottle from her suitor. And so on and so on. 22 glimpsed scenes in which the literal moment of falling in love is witnessed firsthand. Couples in the classroom, couples by the ocean, a couple racing hand in hand across the wet floor of an industrial shipyard, a couple kissing passionately in front of a grid of TV screens, denoting perhaps a stock market or news studio, a couple skipping through a meadow of sunflowers. We see a lot of 80s shoulder pads and military-style buzz cuts, while Robin Beck stampedes us with metaphors for love. Like a break in the clouds and the first ray of sun, it's an uncharted sea, it's an unopened door. Coca-Cola is it. I know it's an ad, and not to be trusted, not really. But I suppose what I think is that it's based on something real. That these things happen. That there's a world out there beyond East Dulwich, where kisses flow like electricity, and love dawns like a sunrise. And then after that, well, other things happen as well. These things would be, if not portrayed, then evoked more directly in a later ad, where a group of women sit, mouths agape, as a topless man with what looks to be the firmest torso in landscape gardening opens a cold red can, causing specks of translucent liquid to squirt through the air. Some years later, I'm on holiday with my mother and various members of her family on a Greek island. Late each morning, I go to a shop and buy a Coke, and the girl behind the counter, a teenager like me, smiles and looks into my eyes in a way that goes beyond the usual customer-facing friendliness. But I'm far too shy to do anything other than smile back vaguely before running away to drink my coke alone amongst the sandcastles. I curse my inability to speak to her and resolve that I will go back tomorrow and buy another coke, which I do each morning only for the same thing to happen. I think that the older I get, the more baggage my encounters with coke accumulate. That baggage can be summed up as something like, I want the past back, the innocence of it. I want to connect with all the past cokes 
to return to the places I had them and speak with the people I had them with, exactly as they were at the time. Kirk no longer feels like the future, but that only adds to the nostalgia. Is the new future going to be rosier than the one that used to be represented by Kirk? That seems far from guaranteed. As for today, I would have my coke alone. My girlfriend was out, and I wasn't going to start calling around, it's just a coke, come on. But I wanted it in the right way, in the right place. I live in an apartment in the 19th arrondissement of Paris, above the kind of all-purpose store where you can buy a screwdriver, a bag of soil, or a framed hologram of a wolf, but no drinks. The Laotian restaurant a few doors further down would have coke, but I would then have to order a plate of Laotian cuisine, and while their food is delicious, that was not the setting I had in mind. The natural wine shop would have curiosity cola. At the general store they had plastic bottles only, which would be a grim way of ending this story. At around 3.30pm, I arrived at a cafe near the Parc de Belleville, with the right kind of terrace. A few trees, dappled sun, on one table a woman was reading a literary magazine. On another, a pair of men were discussing fashion. I sat down, and when the waiter approached, I said, just a Coke, please. It arrived in three minutes and 45 seconds, in a bottle cold enough for a silvery layer of condensation to form across the glass and the label on which the phrase delicious and refreshing is written. Disregarding the optional drinking glass, I picked up the May West bottle, brought the narrow opening to my lips and drank. Thank you for joining Extra Extra on this listening experience. It's been a pleasure to have welcomed you on a journey through this episode of The Protagonist of the Erotic. Please visit us at extraextramagazine.com where you can hear more about our auditory program and discover further editorial content exploring the intertwinement of sensuality and the city.